0: Well, good morning, church. So we continue today with our uh, series on Daniel. I've never preached through the book of Daniel. I've preached messages on Daniel, but I've never preached through the book of Daniel, and I'm enjoying this, and I hope that you are, well, I, are as well. I think we're into our seventh week on Daniel, and I think we'll make it three more Sundays after, to the, after this. Um, and as I've said before, and I hope you understand this, uh, when you get to the latter chapters of the book of, of Daniel, it gets kind of weird. There's a lot of prophecy there, there. There's a lot of not agreement among biblical scholars on what that means, and I like to preach to you things that I feel confident of. And so we're going to leave some of those latter chapters uh, alone and uh, speak through the end of chapter uh, to six, and I think that will take us through the end. Uh, of the month. The the title of the series as you see behind me has been Against the Flow because Nebuchadnezzar came and took a whole bunch of POWs back to his kingdom which was Babylon and he um, invaded Judah and so he took a bunch of Hebrews back and and four of those Hebrews that he took back were uh, Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and so basically they had to be God-fearing people in a foreign land, okay? And so they had to go. If they were gonna live for God in Babylon, they were gonna have to go against the flow. And we said there's just a lot of applications for us in that as we live in 2023 that we find ourselves going against the flow uh, more and more. Um, I can't remember what it was, but yes, just yesterday I was scrolling the news or something, I don't remember. And i don't I'll be honest with you, I don't remember what, what the article was. But I, I read the headline and then, and then clicked on it and read a few sentences about what they were talking about. And it was just one of those things that I just shook my head. You, you, you do that every now and then? I just shook my head. And just hard to believe that we've gotten to this point in the United States. And uh, even, even a short time ago. 20 to 25 years ago which is a very short time Uh, things are happening now that we would not even imagined and so we're living uh, against the flow so I hope in those first three chapters those six messages that we've done so far you have learned a little bit about living against uh, against the flow and uh, just like Daniel Shadrach Meshach and Abindo did in as they were living in a uh, POWs in a foreign country now chapter four it's not about living against the flow. Chapter four is not about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Chapter four is a little bit about Daniel, but it's not really about living against the flow. So I can't really go there today as I follow the text. But chapter four is about King Nebuchadnezzar's pride. That's what chapter four is about. And to be quite honest with you, uh, Nebuchadnezzar had, had, had reason to be prideful in, in that day and time, which was 6th century B.C., he had no rivals, he had no peers and he was king over the undisputed capital of the world. One writer I uh, read said uh, his kingdom which was Babylon uh, rose up like a Manhattan skyline would uh, now. He, uh, it's modern day Iraq, modern day Iraq. Um, uh, he built for his wife or one of his wives he built uh, the hanging gardens of Babylon which at one time were one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, secular history secular history will tell you about Nebuchadnezzar, you can read all you want to uh, about the secular stuff about who Nebuchadnezzar was and, and how powerful a person that he was during his 43 years of reign so I guess in some worldly way He had reason to be prideful. But you know as well as I, that uh, the Bible uh, over 70 some odd times, depending on the translation that you have, speaks of pride and never once in a positive way. Never once in a positive way. Now, let's distinguish a little bit. I guess it was pride or something that um, made me comb my hair this morning. So we're not talking about that kind of pride. <laughs> that, that, there, it was pride or something that tried to make myself look halfway presentable this morning. Now we're not talking about that. We're not talking about that. It was it was it was it was pride that made my mother sew patches over the holes in my jeans. <laughs> okay, as I joke with the kids about all that kind of stuff. Okay. But my mother didn't want anybody to think our family was poor and at that day and time, that was a connotation to that. Now it's taken a different connotation. Now that's, you all know that. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about pride. We're talking about a, 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 a boastfulness that is one of the seven things that the Bible says that God hates. Again, never, ever, ever mentioned in a positive way in scripture. Now, so what we're talking about Nebuchadnezzar's pride. And Nebuchadnezzar is an interesting fellow in Scripture because at the end of chapter 2, he makes some statement of faith and and says, surely the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego has no rival or has no peers, okay? So he makes some kind of acknowledgment there. Uh, At the end of chapter 3, which is the end of the fiery furnace thing, after he calls Shadrach, Meshach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Anyone, and basically says anyone that speaks against that God will have to, uh, I'm going to hold you account. You know, Obviously he says more than that. So he makes some kind of statement of praise or some kind of statement uh, of, of adoration for at the end of chapter two and at the end of chapter three, but we don't really see any change in his life. And and, and some people says, well, he was just saying that that the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was uh, the greatest God of all the gods. And so he was still uh, worshiping many gods, but just somehow acknowledged uh, Yahweh as the God of all gods. And I, I don't understand that, but whatever, what, whatever happened, whatever statements he made didn't seem to really take hold in his life. So at the end of chapter three, he makes this great statement about the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But then we come to chapter four, which is about, uh his pride and so he has this dream and he asked Daniel Daniel has before interpreted a dream so he calls Daniel in again would you interpret this dream for me now I could take you through all the 20 verses of interpreting this dream and I don't think that's necessary for us but we come to the end of that interpretation of the dream and we have this passage of scripture so this is that this is what the dream means and at the end he says you will be driven away from people and will live with wild animals You will eat grass like ox and will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by. We don't know what that means. Seven years, maybe. Who knows? Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. So he has this dream. And Daniel interprets the dream and basically says there's going to be judgment upon you. You're going to lose your kingdom. You're going to go out for seven years until you acknowledge. And that's a phrase that comes up here. You'll see it again. Until you acknowledge. This was a judgment. This was a judgment on Nebuchadnezzar's pride. And now verse 26 is the next verse that we have here. And the Bible says... Uh, and he's talking about the dream this was in the dream there was a stump in the dream and so he's interpreting what this means and he says the command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge when you acknowledge so there's judgment on Nebuchadnezzar here and he there the judgment is going to stay on Nebuchadnezzar until he acknowledges okay So we're talking about Nebuchadnezzar's pride here. And um, and Nebuchadnezzar doesn't really really come along too much with that. He gets this interpretation of this dream, which basically says you're going to be out eating grass and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't seem to bother him too much. And our next scripture uh, that comes in Daniel chapter 4 is this. What do we have? Twelve months later, so... All right, he told him this is going to happen. But then, 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of his royal palace in Babylon, he said, Is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence, my mighty power, and for the glory of my majesty? So, if God was trying to get on his pride, a year later, it didn't seem to take. He He stands in his palace and says, Isn't this the great Babylon that I have built? He says, Uh, i have built by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty and then verse 31 says that judgment was executed on him even as the words were on his lips a voice came from heaven this is what is decreed for you king nebuchadnezzar your royal authority has been taken from you verse 32 says this and here we have a repeat of, of daniel what daniel saw in the dream You will be driven away from people, and you will live with wild animals, and you will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass until you acknowledge, third time. (coughs) Excuse me. Until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to, to whoever he wishes to give them to. Until you acknowledge. I'm putting words in the mouth, and this is not a good translation, but it said, until you humble yourselves enough to acknowledge. Until you admit that you're not the big shot that you think you are. That's obviously a bad translation as a paraphrase, but it it gets to the point. Until you acknowledge. This is about Nebuchadnezzar's pride. And there's a lot of verses in the Bible concerning pride. I've just chosen one that a lot of you will be familiar with. It comes from the New Testament, James chapter four in verse six. Said God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Now, how do you define pride? What are we talking about here? If we're not talking about me combing my hair or me trying to make myself presentable, what are we talking about? Well, I looked at definitions, and, and I thought none of the definitions really got to the spiritual nature of this. So I found some quotes uh, from some people that, that we talk about what pride is. And some of these people were Christian people and some of these people were not. But I thought all of these were important. So the first quote is, pride is concerned with who is right. Humility deals with what is right. That's good. That's a good picture of what pride is. Pride is concerned with who is right. But humility is concerned with the right thing. What is right? Next quote I have up here for you says, pride, if you haven't got it, you can't show it. And if you have it, you can't hide it. And one of the reasons you can't hide it, this is the tough thing about pride right here, friends. One one of the reasons you can't hide it is because a lot of prideful people don't know they have it. It's just who they are. It's just the way they think things ought to be. Dwight L. Moody said this concerning pride, God sends no one away, except those who are full of themselves. Now that makes pride very, very difficult thing, friends, because it comes into a salvation issue. God will send no one away, except those who are full of themselves. Harry Ironside is a a preacher of long ago, and he says, pride is a barrier to all spiritual progress. Why, Why do we spend time in the church today to talk about pride? Because that statement is true. Why does God hate pride? Why does he mention it over 70 times in his word, never once in a positive way? Because that statement is true. Pride is a barrier to all spiritual progress because spiritual progress is when I surrender, spiritual progress is when I bend my knee, spiritual progress is when I admit my need, and all of those are antithetical to pride. G.K. Chesterton is a preacher of old, and he says, if I only had one sermon to preach, it would be on pride. Now you think, well, that's kind of odd. I mean, if you only have one sermon to preach, when you preach it on Jesus. Well, I mean, pride is what keeps you from Jesus and that's why it's such a bad thing. Tim Keller is former pastor of a large Presbyterian church in New York City and I read a lot from Tim and listen to some of his preaching and some of Tim's ideas have, have, I've shared with you before. He says, gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. Because, you know, you could think, when well, we're talking about humility, we're, we talk about, well, I'm just the scum of the earth and I'm just a worm and I'm just, you know, da-da-da-da. Well, you know what? The Bible doesn't say that about you. Okay. Bible really says some unbelievable things about us as the way God looks at us, as the way God sees us, as the reason Jesus died for us. So it's not just, oh, what a, you know. It's thinking of myself less. C.S. Lewis says pride is an anti-God posture. That's a very strong statement. That pride is an anti-God posture. As we've said, pride will keep you from salvation. Pride keeps you out of heaven because you have to bend your knee. You have to bend your knee. I think I have two people in this church right now. They've both been attending for a while, and they're really... In the way I look at it, I hope God gives me some spiritual discernment. I think they're close to being saved. But I think there's pride issues that are going on. You know, it takes a certain amount of humility to walk into a pastor's office and say, I need Jesus. It takes a certain bit of humility to walk up to me and say I really need to be saved. That's why the quote said pride is a barrier to all spiritual progress. Pride is a barrier to reconciliation whether that reconciliation would be husband and wife and wife and husband or the reconciliation would be father and son or whatever it may be, friend to friend. Pride is is a barrier to reconciliation. And I I wonder how many people, I I, I don't know the answer to this, but I wonder how many divorces have happened because of, of one of the two parties that would not humble themselves and say I was wrong. I shouldn't have done it and I won't do it again. Please forgive me. Maybe this is one of the reasons that over 70 times in the Bible pride is listed mentioned and never once in a positive way. As we look at our story here in chapter 4 of Nebuchadnezzar and his pride I want to tell you this that the prideful don't acknowledge the goodness of God in their life and they assume that that goodness would last forever one character not the only characteristic I don't even know if it's the biggest characteristic but it comes from the text it comes from the story and that's why I'm pointing out to you the prideful don't acknowledge the goodness of God in their life and assume that that goodness would last forever Verse I already read to you, Daniel chapter four, verse 30, as he stands on his royal palace and says, "Is this not the great Babylon I have built as a royal residence? By my mighty power and by the glory of my majesty, I, my and my. I've done this. I've built this by my power, and for the glory of my majesty. Um, and then we read earlier that immediately judgment was cast upon him after he said this a year after the initial interpretation of the dream and, and isn't it interesting verse 32 says okay you're going to be driven away you're going to live with wild animals you're going to eat grass like ox seven times will pass by you until you acknowledge that the most high is sovereign over all the kingdom and gives them to anyone he wishes and gives the kingdoms to whoever he wishes Nebuchadnezzar said this is what I built by my hand by my mighty power to the glory of my majesty God gives kingdoms on earth to anyone that he wishes (laughs) Bible talks much about working with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The Bible talks a lot about putting forth good work ethic. The Bible condones working in good work ethic. It absolutely does. But won't we all be shocked when one day we'll realize how much of what we've achieved in life was because of God's merciful hand upon us. Yeah, and then now, what do you say, Mark, about ungodly people that have achieved I know they have I know they have and there's lots of falls that have taken because of the pride of those people but I just wonder when when we really see as we should see for the first time when everything really comes into view for us I just wonder will we just be floored by how much of the goodness that we had in our life was by the sovereign hand of God. I've told you before, I mean, I ought to be dead. I mean, because of the stupid stuff I did when I was a kid. I mean, I could literally curl your hair. Why am I not, I mean, it's just, And one day, I don't know, I don't know this, but one day will I see that God had something for me, that God had a ministry for me, and way back in the 70s, he was protecting me from myself. I I was raised in the Methodist church. Methodist church, we used to have an altar right here with a little that you would set the communion elements on it and it would say, do this in remembrance of me. You've seen those in churches, right? You may have used to have one in here. I don't know. But when I grew up, when we received the offering, the ushers would come forward, receive the offering, then they'd stand at the back, and then my dad, who was the pastor, would say, let's stand together. Everyone would stand, and we would bring the gifts that were just given back to the altar and set them there. As everybody stands and sings the doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow. A few of you may have grown up in a church like that. Well, when I started preaching, I mean, that's all I knew. I mean, and it, it was the tradition of the little church that I was pastoring when I first started going to seminary. But I changed the song. And I changed the song because of 1 Chronicles 29, 14. 1 Chronicles 29, 14 is, is David's, King David's words when they're building the temple and people are bringing their gifts to help build the temple. And so David says these words, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Isn't that a marvelous statement? And so someone, way smarter than I, a hundred years ago, wrote a little song that comes, that follows 1 Chronicles 29, 14 And it was, I changed it. Instead, of when, the, when, the, when the offering was brought back and laid here, instead of standing and singing the doxology, we sang this. We give thee but thine own, whate'er the gift may be. All that we have is thine alone, a trust, O Lord, from thee. a good discipline to have in a church. And it would be absolutely nothing wrong if we instituted that next Sunday. And just we're reminded: we give thee but thine own. Whatever the gift may be. All that we have is thine alone, a trust, O Lord, from thee. Prideful people don't acknowledge the goodness of God in their life and assume that that goodness will just hang around forever. Uh, James 1.17 are some familiar words for you. Every good and perfect gift is from above. We dedicated in the first service Ryan and Casey Arsenault's little eight-month-old boy, Elias, He's a gift from God. Every good and perfect gift is from above. First Timothy chapter 6 speaks in similar language. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God. Listen who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Prideful people do not acknowledge the goodness of God in their life. We see, we see a complete contrast when we watch professional sporting events or let's say when we watch the NFL and a touchdown happens, don't we? Some athletes will, uh, some athletes may kneel, but some athletes don't. Can't you imagine what more anti-God posture than after scoring a touchdown than to point to yourself? Now listen, they don't know what they're doing. They've never thought through that process. But there's a reason that some Christians, football players, and some will do their little jig. (laughs) Prideful people do not acknowledge the goodness of God in their lives and assume that goodness Will stay around forever. Go back to the previous scripture just for a second, Amy. In First First Timothy six seventeen. Don't be arrogant and don't put stock in uh, hope, don't put your hope in wealth. Next phrase, which is so uncertain. So what I've tra- been trying to tell you here. They won't acknowledge God, prideful people, and they assume that pri- that that goodness will hang around forever and Timothy tells us it's so uncertain it's so uncertain book of Proverbs tells us over and over and over again 11 28 of Proverbs says those who trust in riches will fail but the, <clears throat> but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf 23 5 of Proverbs Says, cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. It's the uncertainty of riches that Solomon here, the writer of the Proverbs, is warning us against. Don't assume they're going to be around forever. Don't put your hope in them because they may fly off to the sky like an eagle. Now, verse that I read at a lot of funerals is James chapter 4. And James chapter 4 says this. Um, talking about people who were boasting about, I'm going to do this next year, and I'm going to do this next year. James 4 says, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Verse 14 says, Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow then what is your life? It is but a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. That's obviously why I read that at a funeral. We're all aware at funerals for the, maybe the only time in life, we're all come face to face with the brevity of life. And I usually say something like when it says, when the Bible calls life a mist, I will say, I'm 64 years old and I have zero clue where those years have gone. No idea whatsoever. And any of you here over a certain age will know exactly what I mean. In verse 15 it says, instead you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we'll, we'll live and we'll do this or we'll do that. I'm trying to tell you that prideful people they don't acknowledge the goodness of God. And they assume that it's gonna hang around forever. It's, a character, it's not the only characteristic. It may not even be the, the biggest one, but it's the one that I take from this story. There's another one I take from this story that prideful people refuse to listen to counsel. Prideful people refuse to listen to counsel. You know what, what I didn't read? And, and what Daniel, as Daniel interpreted the dream and said, you know, you're, you're going to be out there living in, with the ox and you're going to be eating grass and all that. You know what I didn't read that came after, right after that prophecy? Verse, two, four, uh, verse 27 of chapter 4. Here's what Daniel says. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins and do what is right. And your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. So Daniel here holds out some glimmer. Go ahead and repeat and announce the way that you've been living. And maybe then God will allow your prosperity to continue. Listen. And then then the next verse is the verse I read. A year later, he was standing on his palace in Babylon and said, Isn't this the great Babylon? So it was a year before God executed judgment. Never forget this. Never forget this. God gives you time to repent. He's patient with you. He's patient with you. He's patient with you. you. Prideful people won't listen to counsel. And And Daniel's counsel was renounce your sins. Repent. What does repent mean? God I won't do it again if, if you'll help me I'll never do it again and Lord if I do do it again make me aware of it and, I, and I'll repent again prideful people won't listen to counsel and I, I just don't know of any method of salvation without a, a repenting and Lord don't let me live that way anymore. I was Lord of my own life. It'll be in all different kinds of words, but there is no salvation without somehow me turning. That's what the word repent means. I don't want to live that way anymore. Prideful folk, they don't listen to counsel. I was talking with someone in this church, about a person that used to attend this church. And the person no longer attends this church and um, doesn't really attend anywhere. And this sweet, sweet lady I was talking to who knows this other lady very well, her words to me were, well, and this, this, this was the farthest thing from gossip. It was one concerned person talking to a pastor. And she says, well, you know, after all, she's right about everything. Talking about this person that's not in our church and not really in any church. That's the essence of pride. I wonder how many people across the United States today are not in church because somebody heard them, some preacher said something, somebody didn't do this, somebody did that, and their pride is keeping them out. Pride is a barrier to all spiritual progress. Proverbs says a whole lot about listening to counsel. Proverbs thirteen ten. Says where there is strife, there is pride. But wisdom is found in those who take advice. Twelve fifteen of Proverbs says the way of a fool seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. And I like Proverbs fifteen. Proverbs fifteen thirty one through thirty three. Whoever heeds life giving correction will be at home among the wise. Those who disregard discipline despise themselves. <laughs> Isn't that fascinating? Those who disregard discipline despise themselves. Now, they don't know they're despising themselves. But from a heavenly perspective, they're despising themselves. The old, the old saying is, you know, when I, went away to co- when I went away to college, I couldn't believe how stupid my old man was. But when I got back, I couldn't believe how much he learned in four years. All of us can remember times where we lived there. They despise themselves, but the one who heeds correction gains understanding. Wisdom instruction is to fear the Lord and humility comes before honor. I'm gonna finish now. I've, I've told you two things from the text, what pride says. It doesn't acknowledge the goodness of God and it basically doesn't listen to counsel. David told him to repent. God gave him a year. And you can play with God and you can say, well, pastor today said God gives you a while so I guess I don't have to do it today. Well, yeah, I hope. But he's patient. He'll continue to knock. But there will be the last knock. and maybe Romans tells us that last knock we can't even hear because our hearts have become hardened. So what's the answer to pride? Well, answer Jesus, friends. <laughs> it's 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 Jesus. The Bible tells us to put on Christ. The Bible tells us to imitate Christ, not like we're going to be a God one day, but to follow him and follow his example. There's no Christianity. There's no Christianity that, that one becomes a Christian, but then they don't give a rip about what Jesus says about how you're supposed to live. Christ's likeness is, I hate to say this, I guess the goal. I guess the goal of Christianity is that we would make it to heaven. But uh, uh, if that's goal number one I guess that's it. But goal number 1A is Christ-likeness. Philippians chapter 2 talks a little bit about pride and a little bit about putting on Jesus. Now about pride it says do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather In humility, value others above yourselves. Verse 4 says, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. Now, listen in verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus. Other translations say your attitude should be like Christ Jesus. Listen. Who, being in the very nature of God, which means he had reason to be prideful, if there's anyone who did not have to humble themselves. It would be the Alpha and Omega and the King of Kings. So he was in the very nature of God. He did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. And We're talking about the second person of the Trinity coming down to earth. Rather, he made himself nothing. He made himself a little baby. Well, I mean, what is more helpless than a little baby? A little baby cannot survive without the adult. Cannot survive. <laughs> you, hear, you hear pro-choice people that say, well, when does a child become a human? Well, when they can survive on, outside the womb by themselves. Well, when's that? I mean how many how many little babies right now can survive i mean how many one-year-old babies can survive he, he he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross i'm trying to tell you what's the answer to pride that you put on jesus you put on Jesus and we do that in our humanity and it's never ever perfect and we, and we maybe do it okay one day and not so okay the other but we understand you can't be a Christian without somehow understanding that part of being a Christian is putting on Jesus in a way that I'll never be able to explain or totally understand it myself. It's just not fire insurance. Being a Christian is just not there's something part and parcel. That's why repentance is important. Lord, don't let me live that way again. Amen. It's just not, I got my ticket out of hell card and I'm waving it because I walked the aisle when I was such and such age and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's a desire to put on, <clears throat> to put on Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And it all happens by grace. Even the desire that I had to put on Jesus is an act of God in my life. Verse 9 says, therefore, therefore is an awful important word in Scripture. Therefore, therefore because of what I just read. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. He gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father what's the answer to pride? it's put on Jesus what's the answer to pride? it's it's God help me see pride if it's inside of me point it out to me and 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 God, may I renounce it. And may I be like Jesus, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself a servant. Christian means little Christ. And we do that so imperfectly. And so imperfectly. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, put off the old self and put off the new self. I, I promise he says this, which is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Wow. All that's by grace. It's not all by gritting my teeth and trying so hard. It's God, can you do something in me that I can't do in myself? can you help me talk to my spouse better? I can't do it. I failed now for 17 years. God, would you help me do it? Would you do something in me? Well, at the end of chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar goes off for seven years and comes back, regains his sanity and then makes some great exclamation of who God is. And he is the God of you know, God bless the God of Daniel and he is the most high. And so people wonder, was Nebuchadnezzar converted? And I'm I'm not going to make a judgment on that because he seems like he made a great statement in chapter 2. It seems like he made a great statement at the end of chapter 3. He makes a great statement in chapter 4. We didn't see any signs of conversion at the end of chapter 2. Didn't see any signs of conversion. So I'm not going to make a statement like that, but I just wonder. I just wonder if we'll see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. Maybe he'll be sitting there talking to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I don't know. I don't know. But that's really not the question today. Uh, That's not the question. The question is, is really not whether Nebuchadnezzar really came clean and repented of his pride. The question is for us. Have we done that? And pride is not something that, you know, you know you're prideful before you become a Christian and then you're never prideful anymore. No, no, I mean, pride seeps into your life sometimes, to the Christian life. And by the grace of God, let me see that, Lord, so I can turn from that, so I can repent of that, any feelings of superiority, any feelings that I have but got I'm a better Christian than she is, or whatever it would be. If by the grace of God you repent of your pride, which is Most of the essence of all sin is pride. If you repent of that because it's a barrier to all spiritual progress, whether it be an initial barrier that allows you to come into the faith or whether pride seeps into your life as you're a Christian, it's a barrier to all spiritual progress and must be repented of. And so as we do every Sunday, we, we remember Christ's sacrifice for us. But today maybe along with that, as we take a symbol of the body and the blood, remember that we're supposed to put on Christ. And this is an example of not only the fact that he died for us but example of his humility who was the Alpha and Omega the King of Kings but he made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant and in some way in our humanity we will never do it perfectly were to follow in his footsteps so our servers are coming to the table you can receive at the table, you can receive at the altar, you can receive in your pews. It doesn't really make any difference. But it's good that we finish at the cross. It's good that we finish at the cross. Father, <coughs> this whole lesson on pride points to Jesus and because he is the answer to our pridefulness. His His humility on the cross, his death on the cross, paid for our sins, paid for our pride. Also gave us an example of humility, an example to follow as we put on Jesus. So in these next few minutes, would you talk to us? Would you talk to us about this issue in our lives? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.